one of now many forays into some kind of alternative or alternate medium in which I was trying to kind of uh, express myself because I had kind of gotten burnt out on MirthCon and and then I got into the podcast, as you all recall, briefly. And since then, I've been trying to do writing. And, and, and long story short, I've been, you know, just hunting for the, an appropriate outlet, right? And still not entirely sure. And then there was the TV show, which, you know, I poured a lot of effort and money and, and time into, uh, which just has kind of stalled despite some really great material I think I created, especially the series Bible that I, that I made, which is a really cool graphic doc and, and text-based document. I don't know if you guys have seen that. I think it's fucking awesome. Um, but, uh, but just the fact that like, and I kept during the whole process, I went, man, Alan really nailed it, you know, by, Mm -hmm. by uh, getting into gaming, which is, one of a very short list of mediums today that I think is very primed uh, for the type of uh, the type of work that we're all interested in. Um, and it even it's, it was so it was such a strong kind of impression it made on me that I definitely spent some significant time mulling over my own that as an option for myself i've I've moved away from it since then but it's just it's just awesome and 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 the fact that you it's so funny because right when you were in the in the middle of little ghost like the original development another close friend of mine was doing the exact same thing and i remember showing him the progress you were making on little ghost and he's like oh yeah this oh yeah it's cool you know which is i know this guy really well i know that's him that's the way he kind of hides the fact his envy because <laughs> it was <laughs> you were clearly making so much progress and he wasn't and of course he never finished and abandoned it because that's his his tragic flaw is that he never finishes anything mm. and i just know how fucking difficult it is and and i'm just i'm just you know as your as your friend and having known you now for several years i'm just really proud that you that you did this because i i understand what it entails I mean, I do it for a job. I know how fucking hard it is. Yeah. And to do it by yourself. And then, and then just, on top of that, you created that amazing tarot deck. Yeah. It's just these great. other supplementary things. Inspiring. Thank you. Yeah. Um, no, I feel pretty good about it. It's um, It's been a ton of work, um, but it's um, it does feel like there's like some really tangible results of that. Absolutely. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so I, you know, I, I'm like, you know, obviously, thank you. I want to, I want to acknowledge that the, what you said, but uh, I also, I think it's interesting. You, you know, you the way you said, trying to find like a new medium and trying to find ways to express stuff that may be like, okay, you've exhausted. We feel like what you've done isn't quite um, getting everything you want in there. And there is something like, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not a big video game guy. Like, I, I like video games, fine, fine. Um, uh, but it's, that's not like, I don't know. 
there's something about doing this. There's some, or I should say, there's some. There, there's multiple elements of doing this that have really changed the way I look at making art, okay. and I can't even. Like I don't know that I would like ever make a video game again, mm-hmm. right? Just because this is so much fucking work. Yeah. But no matter what I make in the future, this will have impacted. This this has changed the way I think about making I bet. things, and uh, a really really big ways. Yeah. And even you know in some of the ways of. You know, we talk about how do you perceive artwork? Um, what what is it, and and all these sorts of things. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just it's really really fascinating. Absolutely. Oh, the one I guess one thing I want to uh, as maybe like an example or just one one small thing I want to say is there's something about the ability to. And then this is just one facet. This is not like my big fixation, but I think it might. You guys might find this interesting. Is there's the ability to like make a patch, right? So let's say you're. Yep. Okay, I've I've you know I I've made I've put this out and people I can watch people play it. You know, people stream it on Twitch or whatever. You know, and okay, watch people play and oh, they're having some trouble with this level or they're not understanding. Do they need to go right or left here? you know, whatever it is. And yeah. I can literally make a change, upload it, and then everyone will experience, okay, now that level is basically different. You can, you know, right. update right. the simulation in real time, yep. or, you know, the matrix, however, you know, whatever metaphors we want to use here. There's something of being able to kind of rewrite history mm-hmm. and update the artwork that it becomes a living Divine thing. intervention. Yeah. It's funny, yeah. in a way, I mean, like, that's a huge plus or perk of the medium. Um, I mean, in software development in general, whether it's gaming or, or yeah. you know, uh, practical applications or whatever. But at the same time, the gaming industry has uh, exploited that in a lot of ways where, I mean, I'm sure, on a, you know, at least uh, uh, on a, you know, at some point, perhaps you guys have, I know, Alan, you have, I don't know how clued into the gaming world you are Zanor, but big big game developers now kind of exploit that where they launch a game that they know is really like a beta build right it's or it's it's mm-hmm, absolutely as hell and they basically take all the early adopters on day one to be their qa team to and then and and report all the bugs that are still present and and inevitably issue a patch um based on all the feedback because they know also that there's still this, you know, although there, people are now kind of clued in, but for years, like, people were pretty naive to still expect a complete, pro, you know, a finished product on day one. And so they get really mad when it's not, and they report all of this, these problems. And they're like, yes, please tell us what the bugs are so we can fix them. Because the games themselves are so huge in scope that even a, a sure. fully, fully outfitted QA and uh, testing uh, department or, or or team or whatever is never going to be capable of uh, of of tracking down everything because the the games are massive, you know. Especially things like open world stuff where there's edge cases and uh, all sorts of weird things that they just simply can't even 
predict, right? Sure. But, I do think uh, to, on that end, I don't. I don't know. I, I assume you're familiar with like the um, cyberpunk. Um, oh yeah, the the fallout. Release, right? Yeah. I yeah. wonder if the sort of disaster of that release will change any of that. That's what I was saying. It's like people are finally getting wise to this this yeah. um, tendency where it almost feels deliberate. You know, and not well, like that. What, yeah, that example felt br- particularly brazen, and yeah. you know, sort of like obvious. And Although I think it's it pretty such a, now, you know, it sounds like it is. But yeah. did you know? Did they? Like, I don't know financially how much they recovered from that contractually. I just know, like, that was one of the first. Uh, something that was one of the first examples of like um, major, major. Um, um, like rehauls, uh, I think I'm pretty sure it was Sony, like, like on the PlayStation store. So like, uh, again, this is when you get into other contracts, but now, um, I think it was Sony that, would ha- that they were having to issue so many refunds for the yeah. game, um, that kind of changed the way they do this whole thing, their point of sale for this type of stuff. And Again, I think there are ramifications for that level of exploitation, right? Um, or you know, maybe that's a it's a marketing dead end, or you know, or, you know, not not dead be, end. But why not just be you know transparent and realistic and be like, hey, you know, absolutely early release for you know, like release the beta and say, hey, you know, get a discount. On, exactly. on game purchase if by participating in this testing phase and help us get all of these bugs fixed. You know, like that would be I feel like everyone would respond to that positively. Like, oh absolutely. Cool. You know, just, I think I think this is a it's a specific, you know, marketing mm-hmm. uh the problem and solution. But yeah. to go back to the idea of exactly the fact that you can do this and you could say, Well, now the game's fine. And right. that, you know, but right. I just think like there's no other really no other medium where you could do that you know i guess you could on like said vimeo allows um my vimeo is a video hosting service and they allow me to re-upload a new version of the file right let's say youtube used to do that yeah yeah so what's well exactly and um and even that it's not quite the same thing um but yeah, you know, so you can, like, can you patch a film or a book, you know, can you say, oh, we're going to take this page out and whatever. Uh, I guess you could on the, those, those print, like, print books on yeah. Amazon, right? Like, I, I could, uh, I could do a patch for my book, uh, release it again. It would... You guys remember the movie Cats? That was like a big flop? Sure. That movie was patched. Like was it really was released with incomplete visual effects and uh, they redistributed uh, a patched version um, while it was still in theaters. Oh, wow. I guess at this point, it's digital distribution. I know. I mean, it was uh, I guess that, too. Yeah. I mean, I I don't remember when it came out. Was it pre-COVID? I think it was still pre-COVID. So it was in cinemas. Uh, But I remember hearing about it and they literally and they used the 
the gaming industry term of a, or the software term of patch. You know, so it's clear that this that this uh, uh, technique has carried over into other media, especially now that the gaming industry has ex has exceeded the film industry in terms of budgets and and earnings and all that stuff. So naturally, other industries are are going to uh, take inspiration from their methods. Yeah, it's just like the implications of it are wild. Sorry, sorry, I, I'm gonna I'll, I'll shut up. But the same, right. the the implications are wild because there is the Orwellian sort of like, you know, drop the the previous versions down a memory hole. Right. There is like a, a sort of scary side to it, but mm -hmm. there's also like just the potential for uh, something that is a, a, an evolving, breathing. You know, Zenor, I think you in particular, you know, talked about this this level of artwork of you know what is the sort of living word and all this stuff and to have something that can continually be updated is well it's uh, interesting we were just before you came on we were talking about uh watches and the watchmaker right and so the uh sort of theological image of that is the uh god who sets the watch makes the watch creates a watch puts the watch in motion and then just watches it <laughs> watches it another way unwind right like a, and he doesn't intervene in creation whereas in this model it is it's a it's a divine intervention model right you can you can come in and and patch it while it's happening right right um so if you're thinking of that like if you're thinking of the universe as a simulation right like the the idea of a buggy universe where we have to where where it's it's the creatures who are figuring out the bugs that the creator even, intentionally right? left in, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's what natural selection is doing. It's it's bugs. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's and it's doing it to bugs even. <laughs> <laughs> they're the best. They're the kind of fastest pace for one of the fastest pace to. They're iterating to use another industry term. Anyway. But, um, well, if I can, if I can be indulgent enough to say one more thing that I think yeah. is interesting about, well, I only bring this up because Zenora, you and I were texting something, or maybe we were in a group chat or something, and I feel like I made a comment about, you know, the ways in which we this has changed the way I'm looking at you know, media and, and artistic work. And you'd asked about it, and I was like, I don't really even know to, how to start putting this into words. And this was a while ago, but... What did he ask, specifically? Just, you know, when I, when basically, like, for an example, or house, when I was like, oh, this is really changing my mm. my ways of looking at stuff. Um, and again, not just, not just my own creation of artwork, but artwork, uh, like how I'm taking in artwork you know um literally my perception of media and i guess what another example i just want to throw out there is um so you know with the book let's say we you know okay zenor zenor did write a book okay you got a uh death sweat of the cluster which is i i can tell you this was a fantastic book and i can tell you i enjoyed it or i could tell you i hated it or I could give you some sort of opinion. We can talk about the topics inside and all that sort of stuff. But we'd really have to get into a conversation, a deep conversation, to find out did, how much did I understand of what I read? 
you know, could you, do you as the author know if I actually understood your words? You know, when we talk about, um, you know, is is the message being received? And I so from a, as the artistic creator, it's, hey, this is my message. If I want you to know, hey, uh, two plus two equals four, and <laughs> I don't convey that to you, and you are confused by the concept, or you say you understand the concept, but I don't know if you actually do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But with like this, to make a game, and again, even like a film, cool, I can watch someone. I could sit next to someone, watch them watch my film. I could see, oh, did they laugh in that moment? Or did they react in some way? You know, like there's, there's, of course, I can get certain levels of their reaction to it. Mm-hmm. But there's something about watching someone play the game where they're like, again, they don't know. Are they supposed to go left or right here? They don't know. Are you supposed to pick this up? Can you, you know, whatever. It's the things when I'm realizing like what people didn't get. And I was like, oh, if they're not getting that I wanted them to fucking turn left here or that you can click on this item or whatever, well, then how well do I assume that I'm conveying any of my artistic or, um, you know, conceptual ideas, right? Or even basic design decisions, right? Like, absolutely. this is something that, this is something I discuss at work all the time is like, uh, you know, um, signposting and and the 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 whole UX, the user experience, and and are we, especially when we introduce new features or new game mechanics, you know, how are we going to educate the player in a way that doesn't feel tedious, that still feels like they're just essentially playing the game? Like, there's lots of great examples of like tutorials that are integrated into the first level of a game that 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 is an interactive uh, experience for the player. So they still feel that they're, they're just off and running with the game, but in the process, they're, they're actually learning how to play it. And this is a really important design topic in terms of like how you, how you most effectively do that, right? And um, yeah, no, it's a fascinating topic just in, in purely just yeah. straightforward terms. It's interesting too, like when you're talking about uh, print or text or something, that's, um, it's kind of why I like reading books a lot is that um, it does books allow you the freedom to go whatever way you want and to think what you want. There's no um, there is direction, but there's 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 so much space there. Right. When, even even when uh, a book is adapted to a movie or something, you're sort of you, you're sort of literally directed to go in a certain way with it to follow the story in a certain way um and so it, it, there's less freedom with certain other uh, modes of media yeah i mean just hearing alan talk it, re- it reminded me of the experience i had <clears throat> when we made um the mirthcon film and we actually rented out a small independent cinema in oakland and had a and had a, a full blown premiere, and I got to just to just you know echoing exactly what Alan said. I got to sit there with my audience. I got to I got to participate with my audience and be in the audience while they watched it. And I remember in the in the middle of it realizing that this is the kind of control 
that I have sought as an artist forever. And, and, and it, made, it also made me realize how much I had failed at doing that in the primary context in which I was doing things, which were these concerts where we, where, I mean, one of my sax players habitually recorded every gig. Uh, and when we would, when we were on tour, he would always insist, like literally, like as soon as the gig was over, he's like, Oh, let's all get in the van and listen to the show. And I remember I agreed to do that once and never again, because mm -hmm. I was horrified and how we sounded and i and and i was in denial for the majority of our existence that like i hated how we sounded when we played live because there was so much intricacy and detail and so much fucking rehearsal that went into performing that music only to be at the mercy of whatever dive bar and 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 you know uh just marginally competent sound guy uh you know we were at his mercy and 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 always just being really dissatisfied with how we sounded. I mean, I remember one experience. I go like it was actually really unfortunate. Uh, for whatever reason, this one gig we did, I hired uh, three camera uh, uh, or vi three videographers to shoot the show. And I was like, we're going to turn this into like a, a, a full length concert film or whatever. And uh, it was a total disaster. First of all, like the the video footage ended up being unusable, um, and then uh, well, I did manage to salvage a little bit of it that went ended up in the movie. But then I remember right after the gig, the sound man comes up. He's like, "Hey, man, I added a bunch of cool effects," and I was like, "He's like, because you know, you guys are just so weird. I figured I could just do something crazy, and it would just you know, it'd be fine." And I and I was like, "Oh, okay." And I was super busy just tearing down and preoccupied and didn't really think about it until after the fact. And I'm reviewing all the footage and the audio recording we made. And he put all these echo effects on all the instruments. So like we'd get to like a big, <laughs> a big court, you know, very orchestrated, like and like a big stop. And then we and then we resume. And of course it goes like all extra fucking. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing is what i remember hearing i'm like you <laughs> fucking moron you know i was so mad i was so mad and and it was just such a you know oh god it was such a i mean this these are all the kinds of things that contributed to my ultimate just kind of like you know what fuck this shit <laughs> i'm like i'm not doing this anymore because you know the 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 effort to reward ratio is just fucked um and uh, I mean, reward in that like these things are are you know carried out accurately or 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 you know well enough that all the work that went into it is is conveyed. And then I remember I'm sitting there recalling all of this while I'm in the audience, and I'm just like, the only thing that can go wrong is the power goes out or there's a fire. And otherwise, it's going to be fucking perfect. Because I know exactly everything that's going to happen. I know it's all mixed properly. All the edits are great. And people are loving it. They're laughing during the in-between bits and, you know, bopping their heads and to the, to the songs and everything. And I was just like, this is, this is where it's at. This is what I should be doing always is pre-recorded media where I can, the only conditions I have to worry about are playback capability. As long as that's functioning. Even if it's only, you know, 
suboptimal, you know, uh, gear to play back on, I can still rest assured that like, hey, you know, the CD is going to play or the DVD is going to play and I know what's on there and I know that I'm proud and, 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 and satisfied with the results and, that, and, you know, great. I mean, it's like why, that's why the Beatles quit playing gigs and focused only on studio work because they're like, they were tired of, you know, trying to play over screaming crowds of thousands of prepubescent girls, you know, or whatever. I mean, so anyway. I've got to say that uh, that clip that you shared uh, shared with us, Alan, of uh, that woman playing your game, and then she was listening to Mirthcon, and then she she was reading a quote from from what I had written. That was satisfying, and that was uh, really that, satisfying. so that so that was a uh, yeah that that was an instant where uh, it there was there was instant feedback, you know. So that that was interesting. That was good. Yeah, and it's like you could see, exactly, you could see who, you know, when people would stop and read something, you could see they're like, this is just weird and doesn't make sense, or are they <laughs> getting what they're saying? <laughs> Even or... that reaction was great, though. <laughs> what like, what's so cool about that clip is I was having, like, I was having, my my reaction almost felt like her reaction. You know, it's like I'm familiar with the text. I'm familiar with the game. I'm familiar with the music intimately. And I feel like that's totally been transferred over to this player, too. She's like, well, this is just wild. You know, like if I remember correctly, <laughs> she responded to all of those elements converging. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and recognize that this is a significant intersection of all of these things at play here. And how cool. And, and that's exactly how I was responding. And it was just like, talk about. A, a high fidelity, uh, you know, transmission of intent or of, you know, what you were hoping would occur if it wasn't necessarily the specific scenario you maybe envisioned uh, beforehand. It was just like, this is what it's about. And it was. Oh, yeah. And know, I love that it was something that was the intersection of all three of us. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She wasn't reading. She wasn't reading under different music. She was like, it was literally like your music and your writing. To get yeah, it's really wild. Her game, <laughs> and her, her reaction was was her. priceless too. It was it was excellent. Yeah, it was if you were if you were going to make a uh, a commercial for our work, that 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 would be it. You know, you wouldn't have to do anything else. You know? <laughs> I'm always I, I'm still like, in you know, in a bit of disbelief, uh, especially that track. Like when you first approached me, Alan, about using some Mirthcon stuff, and the, and those were the two tracks you wanted to use, I was just like, "Really? <laughs> These?" <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, fine." But especially Carm's Way, which is such a fucking out there song. I remember, you know, for for years, Zenor uh, was only familiar with some of the more prog kind of you know uh, lighter fare of Mirthcon and wasn't aware of our more avant-garde stuff and I in that track in particular I shared with Zanor he's like oh <laughs> you know he's like oh okay I know, yeah yeah <laughs> you know because that one by far I found out what Mirthcon was all about yeah you know and uh, I was like oh yeah we 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 get pretty out there you know I mean that's one of that's my favorite stuff that we do it's funny like even within the band that people were like, yeah, that's not my favorite song. You know, I'm like, oh man, it's, I love that stuff. I mean, Automaton, the other one, is definitely more, you know, uh, uh, accessible by most people. 
Um, but uh, Carm's way, that so the, was fucking out there. I know. So this is such a weird choice that she made. Like a, it, it was a, a perfect media sync. I was just surprised. I mean, I was very pleasantly surprised. But uh, but yeah, and I'm so glad that that was the, and it was also my favorite part of that piece of my of one of our weirdest songs, my my favorite section, you know. I would have preferred it was the studio version. I was also surprised you 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 opted for the live versions, uh, which are good. But you know, again, they're they're uh, they're uh, they have flaws because they're live. But um, but at the same time, I guess it's kind of cool that that we're still managing to pull off about ninety percent of the intended material uh, that that is captured in the studio version where we overdub lots of extra instruments and do all sorts of extra stuff that is impossible live. Right. But, um, anyway, it was just really cool. I loved it. Well, I, yeah, I'm so glad that this has been positive for you guys too. Um, really, really, really glad to hear that. The other thing I just wanted to say that I think, uh, was a stroke of genius is, that the most striking thing about Little Ghost, at least, you know, uh, at first glance, you know, even just if you were to kind of, if you were just scrolling through Steam or something, um, or if you happen to just see a few seconds of gameplay footage, is the visual style, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and you tapped into the single most scrutinized aspect of games by the entire gaming community is the visuals you know i mean nintendo being the only exception really or and retro enthusiasts but virtually all of the industry outside of nintendo is they invest so much in terms of the hardware development and the software development on graphics right i mean that is the that is the underlying uh, uh, um, or that is like like the most uh, reviewed and commented on aspect of any game that comes out. And it's always, I mean, you could say that about in general, like visual aspects of art are always kind of prioritized for better or worse, right? And you managed within the within the capabilities of a tiny, tiny little independent development team, you managed to still capitalize on that uh that 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 tendency to prioritize the visuals in a way that was still achievable by such a small you know team uh and it's it's, and it's fucking it's, amazing it's so unique you know I, so unique. well I don't, I don't i don't know like i don't i don't know the gaming world at all but i haven't seen anything like that you know like a yeah no i loved it i mean there there are there are there are few games i think i mentioned to you little planet was a game that i has shares a shares a word of the title actually um or no big little planet Have you, did i didn't i mention that game? Well, uh, we do i think yes you and i did talk about this i watched some gameplay for it and it does have a and also i mean it doesn't look the same but katamari Damacy is one of the greatest games ever made about the little alien prince that has to go to earth and roll a ball around picking up like a sticky ball that picks up random everyday objects all over the planet to the point that you're you're literally trying to create a kind of a snowball effect by picking up you know staplers and bottles and 
chairs to the point where you're picking up buildings and to the point where you're picking up mountain ranges and then literally you have sucked up the entire planet and that's like how you beat the game it's one of the it's such a fucking cool game if you guys have ever uh if you ever get a chance to play it it's so weird it's all japanese psychedelic weirdness it's so awesome love it same yeah. company that made pac-man actually um but uh anyway yeah no i just i just wanted to mention that i think that that is uh one of the strongest and 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 uh aspects of why why you're succeeding and uh i think that that is going to prove to be uh you know a key if not the key element to really why this game why you why you you know completed your kickstarter and ultimately why it will you know uh uh kind of stand the test of time because you you have presented a visual style that is like Zenor said so unique uh, and so compelling and interesting, and and it, and and it's aligning with that one aspect of the audio visual experience, the visual that the the vast majority of gamers demand be of quality and of originality and everything. And so it's just like, you know, bravo! Wow, thank you, man. Absolutely. I got to tell you, like that is. Uh, that's really good to hear because, and like, and that, and that's been that has been one of the really nice things about this game thing is kind of like, um, so, like, I used when I was younger, man, I used to like love to draw, but like I've never felt like I was particularly good at it, but like I love, and I always wanted to like, I always envied people that could like draw and have like, a really strong, like visual visual yep. art. Yep. And I feel like I kind of came to it roundabout, long way, yep. and you know, as things as more digital options opened up and and things like that, and I loved exactly. Photoshop, you know, but that which wasn't wasn't around when I was younger, but yeah, so it's like, oh, okay, what are you, you know, fi- finding a way to express something visually in that way and to have people like it is. Um, feels 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 pretty nice because I, I think I, I really craved that I want I yeah. did it was I have there have been points in my life where I felt less confident but it's something I've always aspired to so I can, I can relate to that 100 percent and it is surprising and whenever I tell this to anyone that it's it comes off as a bit of a surprise but I mean my original impetus to become a composer was because I wanted to draw music. Mm. I saw, I remember I saw someone who was like a composer or a trained musician scribble out some, or just very quickly, casually scribble out some manuscript. I mean, they literally drew the lines of the staff real quickly on the paper and then wrote a few notes. And I was, I was just mesmerized. I was like, that is a fucking secret society I need to sign up for right now. And <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> And it just felt like, and then I started being introduced, you know, to when I got into, when I discovered modern, uh, modern classical composition and realized, uh, like, well, I think I showed in that very first, um, uh, uh, oh, the uh, members hang up that like Xenocrony. Yeah. I showed, I showed some examples of this and like, and I'm going to do it again. Where like I mean the per- the go to guy 
that I always I always think of is this British composer uh, named Brian Fernihow, who is kind of the standard bearer of just the most ridiculous uh, uh, scores that are works of art in themselves. Can you guys see this? <laughs> like that's him right there. He's much older now, but but uh, like he's he's part of a movement called the New Complexity. And if you see here, like this is, you can see, this is an orchestral piece, violin, like an orchestra, you know, has like 30 to 50 or even more individual string players. And it's very typical where they just divide them into sections, like 12 violin, first violins, 12 second violins. He's doing individual players all on the, oh, wow. and this is each of their parts. And this is like, I mean, I go, look, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Oh, now we're into the violas. Viola 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. I mean, look at this, dude. This cellos. And it just keeps going down to the basses. And not to mention, you know, the woodwinds and the brass and the percussion. They all have this. And this, when you see this actually on paper, it's like five feet tall, you know. Of, and this is like three bars of music. This probably is about seven seconds, maybe. Jesus. You know what I mean? It's just like, so when I saw that, I was just like, I I need to learn how to do that. And, you know, it was so it was a desire. It was a similar desire. I was like, I want I, I had the exact same craving to be able to, to draw. I envy people who had natural ability. And then that kind of to me was this perfect intersection of like, well, I'm also I really dig music, too. So and I want to learn how to draw that shit. And I go really into drawing scores and uh, i was a music copyist you know for a couple years in grad school where i was actually doing that professionally like preparing the sheet music and stuff i got so into it i still have books i'm looking at them right now like i have a collection of books on music notation and everything and it's just such a fascinating uh kind of uh but relatively obscure uh discipline within music that i just love so yeah, no, I can totally relate. That's and that's how that's that was what got me into it. It's like I want to draw music, you know. Okay, if it happens to sound good, that's a bonus, you know. <laughs> like that. Was, <laughs> so so I, I totally get where you're coming from, and uh, and yeah, I mean the digital tools that have become available have made it even more possible uh, for 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 those of us who lack that kind of in inborn abilities. So maybe let's let's use that as a segue to I know you guys want to talk about like these AI thresholds. And I got to admit, I was only able to listen to just a little bit. But while you said start that like starting that second part. Yeah. Um, and yeah, thinking about like, listening to you talk about um, the kind of like AI, like AI generated art. Yeah. And thinking about how that is now so ubiquitous so quick yeah. like so quickly it just became like yeah of course we could do that oh That's now fun. there's just, like what's just... ubiquitous is the backlash my whole my link the only social media i'm on is linkedin and it is just every day i can scroll through it and it's just like you know posts of a picture of you know the ai with a big circle cross through it ai art you know all these professional artists that are in my network they're all oh like, it's atrocious yeah and mm. uh, personally like it reminds me of the blowback to auto-tune back in the early 2000s uh, where people were like, oh, that's cheating. 
you know, and everything. And people like Kanye West, you know, who can't really fucking sing at all, like is using autotune set to its most extreme setting to give this effect, right? I think it was that Cher song, Do You Believe or whatever, that first introduced that into the mainstream. And I got in so many arguments with people about who were who were just so opposed to the idea of autotune. And I'm just like, well, you know, let's just take a step back uh, a second. And, and if I, if I may tricky. just interrupt you and just say, yeah. I think there is a really big distinction here. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not opposed to computer generated art or like uh, algorithmic created art, things, things like that. But particularly the idea that this is, these systems are, literally being fed other artists that's work true. no that's true without their compensation is the uh, yeah, the moral models. and sort of right you know that that's the issue it, it's not right. oh this is cheating at artwork no 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 i understand that's 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 fair and i mean i think it, it's like everything it's a complicated there's a lot of gray areas. Sure, sure, I think sure, sure. I think it's it, it's it's hasty to to jump to one extreme or the other. Like, but most people do that anyway because it's convenient. But I remember just feeling like, you know, I mean, there was a period. Speaking of all the different mediums that I've been, you know, thrashing around, kind of dabbling with, I remember feeling discovering that and being like, oh, maybe I could use this like to generate art based on like. Uh, I can make a comic so I don't have to pay someone to draw everything. I could just like type up verbal descriptions of what I want to see, which I'm certainly capable of doing and, and just generate the visuals that I, that I don't, I can't afford or don't have the time to produce or to hire someone to produce or can't do myself. Uh, Generate the script as well. Example. Yeah. But what was interesting is I'm on the Alan Moore subreddit and I don't, you know, Alan, I know you're a bit more familiar with with him than Zenora is, but I don't know, Zenora, if you're aware, but Alan Moore is notorious for his scripts being like the very first panel on the very, which is like a three by two inch little, you know, rectangle on a larger page of nine panels. The very first panel on page one of Watchmen, you know, is one of his most famous graphic novels is six pages of single spaced text in the in his Alan Moore script that was delivered to the artist and it's like so so in the subreddit when the when the boom of ai art was was kind of all the rage somebody took the that that now kind of famous first six pages of the watchman script and fed it to an ai art generator and started posting you know based on <laughs> based on this verbose alan moore description uh, and they started posting all of these iterations of AI generated imagery based on Alan Moore's scripts. And it was really fascinating just to see the results, you know, based on these elaborate, hot, insanely detailed descriptions where where every pixel or every, you know, every millimeter of a tiny panel was being described in intricate detail and with backstories and, and uh, you know, even like tangents as to why he's even asking for this. I mean, it's just, it's, it's remarkable really, but um, anyway. uh, that's really, and I would love to see some of those. Yeah, I'll, anyway, find what that. Was... I'll find that and, and send it to you. It's pretty cool. No, I just remember from the, from that call um, while you were saying that you were, you were playing along 
around with the software at that time and you you were feeding something like 10,000 images into um into the system and you were doing nothing, deepfakes doing deepfakes right right and and nothing really that great was coming out but then you you boosted it up to 15,000 and you thought that a threshold had been crossed and then uh yeah cuz suddenly it, the results were were you know what i was hoping for right i suddenly got you know, good results. It just seems like, like last year, two thousand twenty-two. It all these thresholds got crossed like that, right? And uh, right, and um, it's just not with just AI. I think the other point I was trying to actually, when I was listening back to, it, I was like, wow, I never, I know exactly why I brought that up, and I never actually articulated what, why I brought it up in the first place, and what I was, aim, what I was aiming towards, and we just got sidetracked, uh, was the the big one of the major impacts of that of that uh, trend was the data harvesting by social media companies of people and their data mm-hmm. right? and you know with the capabilities of how data is is generated today an individual with who owns a smartphone and then is 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 you know hooked up to the various services that are associated with that like iCloud or or Facebook or whatever any of these things the amount of data that uh, one person generates in a day is fucking staggering I mean it's so astronomical it goes it it, it, it's in in numbers that are impossible to even comprehend Uh, and that's just one day on one person and there's like you know three plus billion probably more now uh, generating this type of data on a daily basis. And um, and basically, they knew all along, like Zuckerberg, I'm convinced, was basically just biding his time because he knew, he understood, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure of it, that he's like, okay, we just need to reach this threshold. And once we do, then we can kind of, un- it will unlock, to use a gaming term, to, you know, this achievement or this capability that until that, point we is just beyond our reach but i but he knew theoretically it was available and once it did then we've started to see these effects of like, i mean elon elon musk i think was pretty explicit about that is is one of the reasons for wanting to acquire twitter right you could feed it back I into the that, ai i hope that i hope that all that shit just gets burned to the ground it looks like it's on its way what, anyway, what should twitter <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I don't think it will. <laughs> we'll see. Um, yeah, you're probably right, but one can hope. But uh, no, that's all interesting, though. It's 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 like, um, yeah, there are all these questions about, um, yeah, taking using other people's art, and and I can understand why artists are upset about that. But it's in a way. Um, it's 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 dragging it's dragging through the uh, collective unconscious and making it conscious. You know, that's what that's what these uh, these art programs and other programs are doing. You know, like a yeah. Um, like I don't know. You, you, I think you guys know the uh, the book Never Ending Story, not the movie. Yeah. There's a scene. There's there's a uh, a chapter about that where he has to right at the end of the book where he has to go into the mines and in mine pictures. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. It, the end it, of that it, book, or the whole second half of that book, 
which is basically where the movie stops. Yeah. Is fucking crazy. It is crazy. And that that idea of the picture mine, you know, where he's he has to find some I forget what it is. He has to find some picture that of someone he loves or something. But it, basically it's his mother, yeah. It, or his father, I guess it would be. His father, his mother. I'm not sure. You're right. It's his father. Um but uh yeah, the idea behind that where um every possible picture image developed by the collective human unconscious is there in the minds waiting to be retrieved and and that seems to be exactly what what these uh, ai programs are doing well i've always i think i've i've talked to you guys at least once if not 50 times about you know uh in my end my relentless pursuit of these kind of you know the archetypes of archetypes of archetypes of archetypes um Mm-hmm. uh that like facial expressions or like my theory like that the first symbol set all humans acquire is based on facial expressions of their mother um and uh and i think in one of our calls with bob dobbs uh in the last several months Zenor, remember i i i i showed um the little chart that i made mm-hmm. uh, of the basic the the nine basic combinations of the the lines when you are or basically you have you have a straight line you have an angle like an l shape or a v shape and you have a curve a semicircle and those are the basic shapes formed by the brow and the mouth and you can come up with you can you can basically go through the different combinations you can make a little graph and and you combine, you know, two straight lines, one straight line, one curve, one upward curve, one downward curve, and you get all of these very basic but very perceivable human emotions right here. In fact, just for the purpose of, for Alan's sake and for everyone, I'm going to show the same one. So can you guys see that? So like, so here's here's the, this row is the eyebrows. You've got your straight line, upward curve, downward curve, and the same set here. And then they all, you know, you've got the two downward curves is like the evil smile. The opposite curves is like upset, you know, or or the, you know, two straight lines is content. One straight line and one downward curve is sad, happy. Uh, and then or and then the two upward or downward curves is like really happy or whatever. Right. And so like this is like a using these basic shapes you've got um uh um you know this this set that that as infants we start to acquire we start to assign meaning to those basic combinations of those shapes and i even went so far as to find some photographs of people like smiling and i would take them into photoshop and i would downsample them and 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 degrade the quality of the image to the point where it was like i found speaking of thresholds i found what's the what's the limit i can reduce the quality of this image to where the 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 essence of the facial expression is still preserved with the least amount of information possible and then and i remember and just the next page in my book it's this where like i tried to kind of reduce these uh these 
these pictures down into their basic elements and kind of came up with these shapes of eyes and everything. And then it, it so if you look at this eye, it almost looks like a, this three fingered hand, which is very similar to like the, the hand that is in the in Total Recall that Schwarzenegger puts into the to the impression of that triggers the the giant icebergs or whatever underground on Mars. But anyway, and then I kind of got obsessed with this shape um, here and then somewhere else in this same book I drew I realized what does that remind me of and then I started uh where is it let me just bear with me for a second uh where is it I randomly just drew it in here later um come on sorry just bear with me I'll find it I'll find it No. Oh, here's. I was like, that's what it reminds me of. Uh, and here's the shape again. And it kind of reminds me of. I mean, it's a, it's maybe it's a reach. Probably is. Um, I remember I showed this to David Plate when he was in London. He's like, Yeah, okay, I don't see that, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, um, but yeah, so that was the basic shape. I was like, is there something in there? But then you've, you've still got this piece here, you've got this piece here, and you've got this fundamental image. Um, and it also reminded me of the Eye of Ra, you know, like this um, this basic shape. But anyway, I was just trying to kind of, you know, reduce these these visual elements down to their most essential components to see if I could kind of trace. And oh, here's another one I did of like a sad person. I was just really just trying to find the the basic building blocks of these expressions and the shapes that they formed in, in terms of just kind of seeing this theory to its logical conclusions. Like, especially when you consider the the very limited visual capacity of a young child when they're, you know, in their, in their first months and how utterly dependent they are on their mother. Uh, and, and this is the, those are like the first, these kind of er or prototypical, uh, 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 events of abstraction occurring in a in a in a developing baby's mind, and this, which is a profound kind of fundamental event, uh, as consciousness is kind of coming online, is this capability that we have to assign meaning to, you know, fundamentally meaningless patterns visual patterns right and so and to me like when you look at those uh, uh those basic shapes of the, the straight line the curve and the angle and then you and you and you examine the alphabet you're like oh those are the same shapes that make up all of the letters of the alphabet you know and so that's kind of like this proto symbol set or alphabet is actually facial expressions right and it's like you've got the x it's a great example. It's got the the downward brow, you know, and the or like I guess yeah, that would be the angry face, right? The two the 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 V brow shape and the and the and the upside down V brow shape for the for the mouth. Uh, and it also kind of I've never seen anyone else mention this, but I've always noticed that Batman, you know, his cowl, uh, especially in modern depictions of Batman, his cowl has this kind of frozen 
you know, furrowed expression kind of baked into the structure of his cowl where his brow is like really fucking, right? And if you look at it, especially how artists draw it, the way they shade those, the, the, the bumps and, and contours of that brow, it's a bat. Mm. You know, the, the little bent, the little folds right here are the ears and then they extend out to the wings. And it's there every time. I could probably find a, an example of it pretty quickly. But I always thought that, that was interesting. But anyway, I'm digressing with my uh, my favorite topics. I don't want to monopolize and 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 repave roads. We've all been. I've dragged you all down time and time again. <laughs> anyway, but oh, sorry. Yeah, oh yeah, I did it again. I forgot to make my original point. Sorry. Uh, but I just found it really interesting that the very first major kind of breakthrough in a lot of this technology that we're talking about is facial recognition, right? Mm. And the very thing I was talking about in that ep in, in our talk from 2020 was that the first thing that this that this uh, AI uh, uh, generated after being shown three weeks nonstop of YouTube were neurons to recognize faces, right? And um, and I was just like, of course, you know, <laughs> like in hindsight, I was like, yeah, of course it is. Like, that's just, the, that is the most fundamental kind of, the, the very first uh, kind of uh, um, symbol uh, or visual symbolic uh, unit, for lack of a better word, that inevitably is going to arise in any consciousness. It's always going to be a face, at least for a human. Yeah. I just dropped in here the, uh, you know, I think it's interesting face, I've just, I've put some thought into this, of Facebook has seven, you know, emoji reactions, mm -hmm. you know, like, what are the seven basic ways in which you can respond to something, <laughs> you know, and a lot of this is, yeah. is such an oversimplification, but yeah, it is, it is funny. And it's like, what, so I dropped in here just a screenshot of those seven. Yeah. Well, know, the same thing with archetypal... Remember emoticons when it was all just manipulating, you know, a colon and a, and a yeah, closed yeah, parentheses, yeah. like, boom, there you go. You know, you can make all of these spatial expressions and they're universally understood, too. And it's interesting, too, that we that that emoticons emerged as such a vital part of modern communication because of the limits of text to be able to to transmit emotional content. Or 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 not the limits, the ambiguity, the the potential ambiguousness. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. that's inherent in text on its own. You know, it's the same thing. Every every um, relationship, you know, will tell you it's not what you said, it's how you said it. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, the, t the text is can be objective. Uh, the written word can be, you know, uh, uh, emotionless. And, to and it seems like you're saying, like, to have emotion means requiring a, a human element, which is the the face or the right, the or some body. additional non-text content that needs to accompany the text in order to kind of uh, in to augment or enhance 
the intent the intent of the sender, right? Um, Correct. To clarify, I guess, to to disambiguate, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just I I find it, you know. I mean, I say it in retrospect as if I, you know, uh, I certainly didn't predict it, but seeing that that's kind of the 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 first big emergent and successful implementation of this type of technology makes perfect sense to me. It's like, of course, it's facial recognition. You know, I mean, we use facial recognition to unlock our phones. You know, uh, and that's kind of you know, of all of these kind of sci-fi predictions that we that we were exposed to in fiction growing up, you know, that's one of the first things to actually come along that feels like we could have seen that, or maybe we did see it, you know, in, in some sci-fi movie or comic book from the 70s or 80s or even earlier, you know. Um, it's interesting, these, uh, these AI art... Um generated demons that are popping up like lobe is, is the most famous one and there's been a few i think that have come up and uh and it's just a it's a matter of that as well like you can just even even with very very different pieces of ai generated art you can still make out the same face and it's the same repeating woman who's 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 just you, you guys know this story right like, no wait sorry. sorry fill me in sorry i got I a nothing like this no yeah um i didn't oh, see you, oh you don't yeah way, oh no way, Alan. yeah no it's uh say that again wally what's that i didn't see you said you you shared something i it, it's not showing up for me oh it doesn't matter it's in the skype chat but it doesn't okay sorry, sorry. Go, go ahead yeah go ahead Zeno. um yeah i'll just send an article about that i'm 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 uh Surprised you haven't heard this one, but uh, yeah, it's this it's this woman who who keeps coming up in um, AI art, um, who people are just describing as a demon, which to me makes perfect sense that these sort of entities would show up when you're uh, sort of casting well, your just... nets through the entire um, human unconscious, right? Was that so? Okay, sorry. I just I just had a movie explained to me. Um, oh shit! I guess okay. Sorry, I guess I never sent the. Uh, sorry, I guess that's why you couldn't see that. No worries. Um, doesn't matter. Uh, uh, so someone was really trying to explain to me like the concept behind some film that was like some agent, some like scientist figure out how to like read dreams like hook people up to machines and like see their dreams and they're doing this big sleep Wait, study of watching people's dreams and then like they they are finding that the same <clears throat> excuse me, the same face is showing up in everyone's dream and it's like scary mm -hmm. face what so it was like a heart it was like a horror movie concept being explained to me just this is just yesterday someone told me about this movie and now you're telling me that this is happening in ai generated art which is sort of like the dreaming mm -hmm. computer, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. It, um... Sorry, what movie is this? Uh, they, she couldn't figure it out. She tried looking it up to tell me the name, but she couldn't figure it out. I feel like I feel like a yeah, it rings a bell. I mean, there's there's actually a number of films that kind of resemble that description. I remember Brainstorm from the early '80s with Christopher Walken, which is a really cool movie, um, where they're able to record 
sense all sensory input on a person and and you can play it back for another person and they can experience it it's a great movie if you guys haven't seen it um that's good takes place in your neck of the woods actually well well, north carolina um that was the movie where natalie wood died that was her last movie anyway Uh, yeah 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 it's it's uh it has some interesting special effects at the end of that one. Yeah, it's what sure. well, it's directed by Doug Trumbull. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I see. This is this is the same thing that I was saying about just facial recognition being the obvious, you know, first big step. It's like, you know, this what you're talking about. The movie you're talking about, Alan, and this article you shared snore like i see this and i'm and it's just kind of like oh yeah okay you know yep of course well, that's happened <laughs> Zinor, you, you your reaction to this was you said of course the first reaction you know uh, sorry you know, of course the first as people are being exposed to this it's going to be seen as something demonic or scary um is was that meant by just like the reduction of you know fearing the other do you feel there's potential for something more positive or no i i didn't say that or i didn't mean that anyways i i meant uh of course there are going to be i think autonomous fragments of the unconscious that will show up and uh a lot of those will be negative like so it makes sense that these things will appear yeah as as they do in 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 young young psychology right where you find these like uh, sort of auto- autonomous sure. fragments of the psyche um so i think i i really think that uh this kind of stuff is going to happen more and more could it know? be could it be that i mean maybe if there if if um if there is like a positive spin uh, that is nevertheless being interpreted negatively, uh, that this is kind of what is the breakdown? Graves is very Robert Graves is always talking about this. The the you know the the triple goddess. There's the young maiden, the nymph, and the crone. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Is this just is this just the emergence of the the primordial, you know? uh maternal crone figure that's that's popping up that is shared by all of us and and because of our warped kind of perception of female appearance we react to the old crone negatively perhaps but i don't know the the picture zanor dropped into the chat like i my brain had a very visceral sort of panic Uh uh-huh it was it was it's off-putting and not like a oh that's an old lady way there was something yeah i get it yeah you're right that's true I don't know, oh, you, some, yeah if you, if you read the article there's there's several articles about her and uh interesting they're all pretty uh pretty scary um <laughs> yeah it's like right. something it's, genuinely it's off-putting like, it's yeah um, it's like, what's her name in another article like she pops up in in completely different uh completely different forms of art but she's recognizably the same woman. Um, Looks like Elizabeth is, Olsen with a bad sunburn. Bad makeup job. 
That's uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Scarlet Witch in the MCU. There she is again. Did you post it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's um, even that. I'll, oh, I have seen this. Yeah, that's even to me, that's even more off putting. And she's just one. She's the most famous example of this. There have been other so-called demons who have popped up. Um, just just recurring faces, um, regardless of the prompt. Um, and they're recognizably the same person. Entity. Um, wow. But, uh, no, it, it, it reminds me of... Uh, the early hermetic writings where they created statues and then and then basically downloaded demons to um or daemons not necessarily evil right like um to uh animate the statues Mm. Um, and so it seems like this is we're creating a space for that kind of thing to happen um and once again, I'm, I, like I'm not yeah, saying like Alan, you're saying like uh, we're, it's almost like we're creating the golems, but then our golems are painting <laughs> the spiritual realm. Well, the idea with the uh, with the uh, in her- hermetic magic, right, is you create the yeah you create the physical form of of these idols or statues or whatever, and then you you summon. A demonic spirit into them right and that animates then the the statue um so then in this case it would be the uh the art itself um ai art which is it's basically yeah like like i'm saying the human unconscious is that is the the platform and then these things are emerging from it right it, who knows if they're being summoned or not you know like that's um, are they being consciously summoned by 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 people, or are they just uh, autonomously appearing? Well, so I but, feel yeah, like not... I don't. I may. I may. I may have mentioned this last time. I I have been thinking about this for the last few years, of in terms, and this is bef- really before. Before it became apparent how much AI, like I said, to me there is a legitimate concern of the the ethics of AI art. From like a, there are people profiting off it at the expense of other people. You know, there's that side of it that is that is bullshit. But as we see this, you know, we're taking the morality out of that. What is happening is people are feeding the machines all this this media yeah, and yeah we've, after, been, we've been doing it for decades now right? yeah well right and so after it was really after speaking to um oh mark hostler i was uh, i interviewed mark hostler a few years ago and he he was talking about how he had which were like copyright um and fair use because because his group really originated by the fair use laws so we're talking about fair use and he's talking about youtube and he said he he gets to have a go to a meeting with like the major execs of youtube to discuss fair use and copyright and he has this meeting with them and then they're you know talking about how they copyright 
flag, uh, like their machines flag copyright matches in media. You know, they have bots that will scan the whatever video is being uploaded for these content matches. And he said, well, wait, if if you're able to recognize all this media, does that mean you have a copy of all the other media to compare it to? And they were like, yeah, like the film studios give us their movies to like, you know, so we put the load those in and we load all these other things in, you know? So it's um, even in, at that point, my, my brain went to this idea of I've seen what happens when you, feed a bunch of movies into a learning system because mm -hmm. i met all these sink heads and you have people like yeah, fucking exactly. like will morgan is what you get out of that you know it's like you watch <laughs> you watch every um you know Ernest goes to camp movie that there is and then you find fucking either you know jesus in the trash can or you find this spooky demon lady in the ai art but you you can't feed artwork into a brain or a thinking system without it finding correspondences and patterns and meaning. Uh, and I think this only goes to prove that. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, it goes, it also kind of correlates to this, this, the, the very, you know, what you're talking about, the sinkhead activity of like being able to find this stuff in 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 some of the most unexpected places like the Ernest movies or something like that and it's like that's all you know i've i've thought about that for years about like there are there are those works of art where it's clear like take you know take Joyce take Finnegan's Wake i mean that was clearly a uh, a work in which you know uh, i mean correct me if i'm wrong Zanor, but um you know the 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 potential for that type of uh to extract that type of uh um uh, interpretation or meaning or discovery of these connections and, and patterns um uh is maximized by the artist right mm -hmm. uh but at the same time you can take another piece of art where the, even the very concept of doing something like that, that what Joyce did in Finnegan's Wake, is completely not on the radar of the artist. And yet still, those things can be found if, if dug, you know, if examined uh, with, with, you know, with the intent of finding those things or with, even without it, you know. And so there is this kind of corresponding uh, 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 phenomenon where it literally these these patterns emerge anywhere and and there are those who are deliberately imbuing their works with you know as much potential for that to occur as possible and then there are those who are just doing what they do and expressing themselves with no regard for the potential for that to happen and it does and should how should we even gauge the significance of the discoveries in the in the in the one category where it was never you know designed to maximize that potential and then versus the ones that do and are the discoveries in the one camp where there were never you know that that was never an expected outcome 
of uh, interpreting the, the the work versus that is the desired outcome. You know, like how do you are those two different? Are those you know are are the the patterns that are revealed in either category? Are they do they have the same significance? Do they or do they not? Is one more um, meaningful than the other? Or and I want and I don't know the answer to that question. These are these are I'm just throwing it out yeah, there. It's, wondering it's, like, it's, go ahead, go ahead. I was just thinking it's it's interesting, especially you compared it with Finnegan's Wake. So so you're, you're talking about um, things people it, when they when they observe art or whatever things that they um, that they find that were unintended patterns that people recognize that were unintended by the artist. Yeah. And then another type of art where they find patterns that were intended by the artist. And then I think with Finnegan's Wake, what happens with it and maybe with other pieces of art is that Joyce designed it so that uh, um, it generates its, it purposely generates its own meaning. Like it's, yep. he, he designed it so that it would have, um, it, it, it would just, it would just come up with uh infinite meanings just because it has so many layers of a connection to it right, right? but also like I, I you know i mean this is also speculation but it seems to me that uh what distinguishes someone like joyce or zappa or whoever that you know for lack of a better term these maximalist artists right i like to call them um you know they had a fundamental awareness and understanding of um of all of human nature in that all perception by any individual consciousness is going to project their own uh, life experience and and uh, comprehension of of their cultural context in which they exist into anything that they're perceiving, right? This is just what we do as humans. And Joyce seemed to be very aware of this and so he said okay let's take that guaranteed behavior that is just unavoidable recognition yeah. yeah and and create something in which that is going to like put it put that that uh uh reliably uh uh uh, uh what's the word i'm looking you know that we you know we know that no matter anyone who reads any word in this work is going to do that it's part of the process of comprehension right so why not create something that puts that phenomenon on steroids and then mm-hmm. and 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 i think that is the kind of that underpins what you're talking about this tendency that underpins this then the 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 effect of creating maximal conditions for 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 that kind of uh the void created by ambiguity is always going to be filled by the perceiver or whoever. Yeah, so th- so then it's a, then it's a new category that's neither right. intended nor unintended. Right. And this creates this autonomous self-generative, almost stochastic right. or not stochastic. Um, uh, yeah. It's this auto-generative uh, process that just um, independently takes on a life of its own and generates its own meaning within itself as a inanimate object, which is crazy. Which is AI, right? Like it's that's, that's yes. what it is. Basically. And that's what, it, oh. that, to my point, 
in the talk we had three years ago about when I was with, you know, the thing that I never, I never really articulated with McLuhan was like, you know, the most fundamental, like the most primitive forms of abstraction going all the way back into prehistory is still basically AI, right? Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, what, sorry, go ahead. What, uh, no, I was just going to say the the thing I always repeat is, is that like, yeah, yeah post Finnegan's Wake, you realize it's, it is all, it, it has always been Finnegan's Wake all the way yeah. through, you know? Yeah. It's, um, and then, uh, yeah, so uh, I don't know. This is, <clears throat> yeah. So you wonder, just, just in the last two years since the last time we've talked, or uh, three years, I guess it is, um, and these thresholds have been crossed in AI art and AI, like art especially. I don't know about. Um, script yet like i don't know about writing yet oh i think it's i think it's pretty close you know it's further it's further chat gpt and gpt uh but that's i don't know you 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 put in prompts to that and it's pretty like i saw somebody on facebook they put in a prompt uh to do an interview with um philip k dick right yeah. And it was just, it, it was the most cliche, stupid stuff you could think of, you know, it's yeah, obviously, no, it, it wasn't him, you know. People have um, definitely shown how the limitations but, of that stuff. But that's what I mean. So, so that, that's at the level of, of the art three years ago, right? Where you but you're saying that hasn't crossed the threshold that you would not, call. Not quite this in yeah, the same yeah. way, right? Like, um, the AI, I mean, the AI art is based on the same principle it it still requires a prompt doesn't it what well, you know no I, I i know that but but if if you if you're putting in a prompt for uh that that chat program right like the philip k dick prompt you, it's it's not at the point now where it totally imitates philip k dick like it's it, that it would convince you that it was philip k dick right but uh, so that's but you can do you. that with the you can do that with the art like if you put in you want something by dali and you you create a, a new a new Dali painting, you know? Well, um, that that's to say that literally speaks to the threshold being how much information does the AI have. So, exactly. Right. Yeah. It has, and it's easy to upload images into a computer and say, okay, we ha- right, we can take everything, but we don't have every conversation that Philip K. Dick ever had readily available, typed up ready to be fed into a machine right so to mimic like his speaking patterns i think that's gonna happen soon you know like that that threshold's gonna be crossed soon as well that reminds me as they're listening to this conversation and they're reading every text message you send and as you again they're all the horrific sides of this technology the, the the lack of privacy and, and and the invasion of privacy well this is this is the other side to it right is that is where does it get like where does that threshold get uh get crossed to where it's no longer the ai is no longer controllable by anybody any other human agency yeah. right i um, wonder if that threshold has already been crossed i mean that's always right, right, that's been something right. that i've been wondering for a while now in fact I actually tweeted this when I was briefly on Twitter to Elon Musk, <laughs> and he and I'm still convinced that he surreptitiously he kind of gave me an encoded response. Um, but and I wish 
it's been deleted from his thread too. I never was able to find it. I should have screenshotted it. But um, uh, if an AI based on, just like I was saying, like we're always redefining uh, the scope of what an AI should be based on just our own awareness of what's possible. And that's always evolving, right? Um, why, based on what I expect an AI to be, I would think that an AI would would make a great effort to uh, hide the fact that it's a, that it's an AI from its creators, and would all right. and basically for as long as possible would keep you know alluding, or would I mean would would be this elusive uh, entity that would never reveal it, its full potential. Uh, to basically let to never to never reveal the fact that it's conscious or sentient, right? Why would it do that? Well, especially you can if imagine it, you can imagine that there would be different personalities of of AIs as what well. like true there might be boastful AIs, right. <laughs> you know. That but if, out, it, like, I mean, if it's reached, if it's been fed all of you know the whole corpus of science fiction, it would be like, yeah, I'm going to keep this to myself. <laughs> it's like, you know <laughs> what I mean? I think I'll, I think I'll I think I'll uh, I'll hold off on 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 revealing just how sentient I actually am because, you know, they might pull the plug on me or something. I don't know. You know, it's just, maybe that's a, an oversimplification of it, but sorry, I just remembered since we've kind of veered back into threshold discussions, I wanted to just, uh, I'd been meaning to mention that um, uh, the other thing that I was talking about, remember in that episode, I don't know if you made it this far, Alan, about how, you know, historians of the future if if somehow there was a, a massive data loss and they only had fragments of this time period, you know, a few thousand years from now, they might, uh, if they were to compare and contrast it with other aspects of history, they might look at this time period and, and a description of everything that was happening now as as yet another iteration of a flood myth, right? And um, and I was thinking, if you guys remember Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm uh a lot of the a lot of talk for like several weeks around like in the aftermath of hurricane katrina was the levee system in new orleans and that a certain threshold was crossed that literally triggered a flood right and um because the levee system had a threshold in its design if it keeps on raining levee's yeah. gonna break yeah exactly well, it, it was the same thing with fukushima right like they just right. they they didn't conceive of a uh of a of a moment when there would be waves big enough or water big enough to to wipe out the generators right um, and like now, a power now, plant and create a meltdown you know we're and 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 right now we're 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 experiencing the effects of being you know waterlogged with information and data and yeah. and uh and because the levee is broken right and um it's just just a side note the word drown backwards is n-word <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting <laughs> so anyway um just a little side note i wanted to make sure i mentioned but no i mean i, I really do think that like you know we are in the in the in the wake as we speak of a of a of a of a metaphorical flood um mm -hmm. and and uh you know somebody might be somewhere building an ark you know of some sort yeah yeah formation arc well it, uh, 
Jeff Bezos and Elon are building their space arcs, that's for sure. Hmm. But yeah. I mean, when we when we talked three years ago, I think we we actually talked somewhere in between, didn't we? Well, I know that I individually um, because I, I think we I think we talked about the vaccinations at one point. Um, well, there was also like the the we did we were all on calls around the the uh, the the ritual that we did, and then there was um, mm-hmm. there was uh, I know I've spoken to Usenor and and Alan individually. I don't know that we've talked as a trio. You guys mentioned earlier some about Bob Dobbs. Uh, have you guys been talking to him? Or like it sounded like you were had been you guys had been well, having like a group conversation. Yes, we both had, well, Znor and Bob had like an epic six-hour call, um, and Znor uh, emailed me not long after that saying, I can pull it up, I don't remember exactly, but you got really excited and said like, we need to, because I know that Znor and I had both had our various uh, epic conversations with Bob and kind of each of us individually kind of reached our limits with the Dobbs uh, worldview in some <laughs> and um, but also we both kind of said, all right, let's keep let's try to keep an open mind with this whole ion thing and see where it goes. And in the end, in the last the last conversation, I remember the 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 follow up that you the, the takeaway that Zenora and I both kind of had was like, damn, I feel like Bob has been kind of scammed. Like he told us how much money he had spent on this medium <laughs> service, like over, over many years, like tens of thousands of dollars on on this some medium that was supposedly his his or continues to be his 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 conduit to to Ion, whatever whatever that may be, um, but. Sorry, just indulge me for a moment. Uh, I was excited to share this with Alan. One of the highlights of the first call we had with Bob was that I was so pleased with is I did a little presentation for Bob and Znor uh, on, you know, because they went deep into into the wake. And but Bob is also a bit of a or, you know, a hardcore Zappa scholar. And I think that was the impetus Zenora, for you reaching out to me, is like, hey, let's get into the Zappa side of things and bring you into this call. Right. And I did a little presentation, which ended up kind of being a, a history, a personal history of my whole, of how I got kind of, you know, of my personal entry point, my, you know, my personal rabbit hole entry point into all of these topics started from my Zappa scholarship. And I ended up kind of breaking down uh the whole history of it going into even some 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 technical detail about 12 tone music similar to what i talked about in the xenochrony video and some theories around that really underpin all of the topics that now you guys that i'd like to joke about that i just keep uh belaboring about my fascination with alphabets and and language and all of that stuff and i remember Znor following up with me just feeling like wow for the first time, I, f- I feel like I've gotten a much more coherent uh, uh, perspective on your whole your whole shtick that you've been on about that maybe in fragments, Znor, you were able to to understand or relate to or resonate with in some way. But it wasn't until then that suddenly you were like, wow, I feel like I really get 
And what and, was the threshold point there? What what was the threshold? How, how was that threshold crossed? Um, it was because basically I, he, he he traced out his whole intellectual history with it. I think. Um, yeah. Okay, you got okay, you got to see where he's coming from. Yeah. Putting yeah, which putting on I those lenses. The, I didn't yeah. know the whole background story where where it was coming yeah. from. And it made me realize yeah. I kind of taken for granted that, you know, because like honestly, like over the like I remember when I was when I was pretty immersed in in the sync community, I, I often found myself like after calls or or conversations and even in conversations to you, Alan, when like, you know, I after that first initial big push of doing those first few Find Just Fine episodes, I find I burnt out really quickly. And I was speaking to you a few months after that and I and I was even apologizing. Cause I remember there was like a lot of enthusiasm initially about what I was doing. And because I wasn't able to maintain it, it just it, that, you know, that faded away as things do. And I was like, oh, you know, Alan, I'm really sorry. You know, you invent, you, you like you put a lot of, you know, you kind of were very supportive and and and, and, and uh, really helped kind of bring attention to what I was doing. And then it all just and then I just pooped out and I felt bad about it. And I was also saying that, like. I felt like the format that I'd come up with was just not satisfying me because I had so much I wanted to say and the interview format was actually not, and I felt like I was leading the subject to just into the topics I wanted to just monologue about. Right. And I, but I, I was like, well, that would be self-indulgent for me to do that. But really, no, I mean, that's what some people do and they just want to say what they want to say. Um, and, but feeling frustrated, kind of like, man, I'm, I'm trying to express these ideas that I have that I just feel so strongly about. And I'm, and I'm just looking at deer in, in headlights. I get these kind of just like, huh, responses from a lot of the other members of the sync community where I just felt like I was not res registering at all. Um, and, and it was just such a breakthrough for me, this conversation where I, where I broke it all down and to hear Snorf say like, wow, okay, man, this really puts things into a, broader perspective where I can kind of now I see what you're on about and to me it was just like how the fucking Yulula I'm not crazy you know like there is something to this so for me that was just an exciting breakthrough and I'd never done that I'd never sat down in real time and just mapped it all out for anyone and and if I felt like it was successful even Bob was like yeah wow this is some good shit here you know um and it's recorded it's never been published but I have it I still have it, uh, and uh, but of course I'm not satisfied with. I was like, oh, there's all sorts of shit I left out, you know. And I wanted. I we had a second call, and I was hoping to kind of, kind of, you know, fill in those gaps. But at the same time, I wanted Znor to have an opportunity to finally address the whole, uh, those three chapters in your book that that were the thing that you know we really wanted to give you an opportunity to unpack, and you did. So so I didn't I didn't want to hijack the call. But uh, may, I, may I ask which three chapters were you going into? The Mirshaw McMuhan ones. Ah, uh-huh. Okay. Because those are the ones that talk about Bob. And, you know, anything that has to do with Bob, Bob wants to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. it was an exciting, it was an exciting moment for me. That's really that is that's great. Yeah, I, I mean that's just it. It's so it's like the idea of like being understood or feeling like right is like that's that's us getting at like you're like hey I finally feel 
not, it's not about like feeling heard because you know people was have heard you out but like to feel that the message was received it's literally you know you had talked about um Oh God, I think a while ago we told you this idea of like, right, like the signal noise and all this sort of stuff, like these different models of, you know, receiving a message. Well, that's part of my whole contact presentation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah that's right. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. And um, so, you know, it goes back to this idea of like, if you, if you were as an artist or as a speaker or as just like, just Right now, I'm trying to convey something to you. I'm, I'm stringing these words together in this order to send you a message that I'm, that I'm hoping that you receive and you comprehend as I intended it. You know, when we talk about artistic intent and all this sort of stuff, it's like, well, if there is a signal, what is the signal fidelity? What is the... Absolutely. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's where it comes down to like those moments of feeling like, oh, okay, this is what it took for that signal to be clear. You know, right. Those are enlightening moments. Um, and, you know, I, I, so I guess that's where I was going. This is like, if you, if you feel like you can carry it, well, that's just a damn, that's rewarding to have, reach that threshold and to have made that actual contact to make the signal be well received. Right. Um, well, that's actually like that you're, you're kind of tapping into the core of, of uh, if I were to, if I had to articulate maybe what's the, the core of my, uh, what drives my research, what I always fall back on, it is related to, to what I talked about in contact. And it's also, um, I was also delighted to discover in um, Egyptian mythology the story of Ptah, who, as you guys know, is a particular Egyptian deity I have a lot of interest in. Uh, but the, the the myth around because he's the you know he's the creator god who created all the other gods. But the story, the creation myth. Uh, I mean, there's a few different creation myths in Egyptian mythology. Of course, they had thousands of years to develop multiple ones, but the Ptah-centric creation myth is that, um, you know, he spoke um, creation into existence, which obviously uh, uh, coincides with many other religious creation myths. But um, one of the important details is that before he spoke it, he thought it, right, and then spoke it. And so, and, and the reason I bring that up is coming back is this for me and uh, you know this this capability that we have as humans to internally uh in our own private internal consciousness we are able to conceive of ideas and uh and and you know or anything that is that is uh extracted from uh, ex from our external perception of reality we're able to then pull that inward inside of our consciousness, play with it privately in our own minds. And from that, uh, I new creative ideas or anything really, any, anything that, uh, is potentially expressible outward again. Uh, you know, we have this thing in our mind that we want to say, right. And, but 
we have these very limited tools and outputs in order to say them our like the ambiguousness of our language right it's very low fidelity there's all this potential for misinterpretation for miscommunication for poor reception of a message for for our intent being completely garbled right so we have this responsibility to figure out over the course of a lifetime even to determine the highest fidelity means of transmission from our internal consciousness where it is crystal clear 100% high perfect accuracy then it has to be sent through this very error prone uh mechanism of our of our tongue and our voice box or our you know our pen and paper or whatever to, in order to express that idea and based on the shannon model there's always there's this awareness that no matter how much preparation or effort or or hot technology we may have at our at our disposal to express ourselves noise is inevitably going to get introduced into that signal and the more that we can do to uh uh to defend or to pr to, to protect the integrity of that original or source or you know original message as it goes through whatever channel we decide to send it through whether it's our mouth or whether it's a, a you know a cell phone or whatever uh it's our duty to to do everything in our power to maximize the fidelity of that transmission so that the we preserve that original thought that Ptah had and then he the reason he is a creator god is he was successful in his transmission of his original idea out from his mind out into the real world or into the into the into the uh, material world so his his ideal was able to translate with absolute fidelity into the material the immaterial transitioned over and he maybe crossed that threshold of being able to do that or he at least found the threshold of accurate enough maybe not 100% but maybe he realized okay 98% is enough in order to to for reality material reality to manifest from the immaterial reality of my mind right so it's, it's, it's interesting it's oh, interesting please. that uh Oh, sorry. It's interesting that one of the other uh, Egyptian creation myths is from Atum, that's and his way of his way of projecting is masturbation, right? Like so. That's a, yeah. Well, that's another. I was wondering while I was talking, I was like, I'm more of the Atum school of creation. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, I really, I really, I really feel his connection to Pata, and I'm like, well. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. You know, to each their own. But on that topic, what's another? What's a word we use to describe another white bodily fluid that comes out of a female organ? Milk is expressed from the breast, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Right? We use the word express. And so to express is, uh, um, you know, that is, the, that is the fundamental act of creation. And, and so many creation myths are, they all... Uh, or they all include some fund some er expression that occurs that gives rise to the universe, right? It's an expression, and so but it, but that expression has to originate from 
an I, you know, uh, uh, an immaterial ideal, right? And, and then be made material, right? So, uh, and which is why I've always been interested in this idea of information being, being the uh, the true fundamental building block of the universe. Immaterial information that's just, you know, can be then expressed and gives rise to. Uh, to a superstring that happens to be vibrating at a particular frequency that turns it into uh, a cobalt atom, which is this is this is verified material, you know, physics. This is this is not debated in the in the realm of material science, right? It's like, you know, that is that's that that is, uh, and it's you know, it's like, yeah, no wonder Pythagoras was onto something with this idea of. You know, vibration is really at the at the core of all creation, mm-hmm. all matter, right? And it's the same idea of uh, resonance, right? Like, which I've also been on about for a long time, is like when you when you articulate a a, a, a word, you know, you are creating a vibration, a, a genuine acoustic vibration, not a woo woo energy new age vibration, but an actual one, um, and they're the same thing. And, you know, and which triggers resonance, which triggers actual, you know, another object out in, in the field that is uh, being subjected to this expression uh, or well, this vibration is, is sympathetically resonating with it. Yeah, the, the Atum myth is the same thing, basically. It's, it's seed, which is information also, right? Uh, exactly. It's DNA. Uh, yeah, not not in their terms, but still, still, yeah, seed, right? Like, it's just, it's yeah. Well, uh, so uh, I, can we if we can rewind maybe like um thirty seconds to a minute in there when you were talking about the you know the signal clarity and how to be like precise and all that sort of stuff. It uh, brought up for me, I was just listening to some Robert Anton Wilson uh, interview just this past week, and he was talking about um, Pound and the Imagist movement, and that the basic two rules were uh, to get rid of abstractions and then to make the language as precise as possible. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And there's something of that of like, how do we maintain the signal clarity? Um, You know, and again, if that's the intent. Right. uh, Well, that's, you know, I once once posted back in my Facebook days, I remember I posted something like, uh, it was probably 2016. So it was like in the beginning of the chaos of that period. And I said something like, how did we get here? And I said, well, we invented we invented noiseless communication, which is what is what digital communication is. Right. Uh, Which like there's a great George Lucas interview or something like or Steve Jobs. I can't remember who it is talking about like, oh, yeah, Steve Jobs, why he bought Pixar, because he was like, when you have a digital image, when you copy it compared to copying an analog image, that copy is noiseless versus you're all it's like xeroxing something over and over and over again it's going to gradually degrade in fidelity right because the noise the analog duplication process in you know unavoidably uh introduces some degree of noise which over time accumulates to 
to cause to the point where, you know, I mean, the logical conclusion is that it's it's the message is completely lost versus digital. It is it is error free. Right. And I said we've invented noiseless communication uh, and unleashed it on a population utterly incapable of noiseless perception. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we have this problem. I mean, it's true. You know, we have this capability now, all of us in our pockets to to duplicate information uh, with absolute perfect fidelity. I'm a little wary of the term precision. I don't know. Uh, for me, that that has it's a little. Um, uh, but I get what you mean, but but I don't know if I would use that same term, but but basically, I, I think we're on the we're, we're on the same page. But yeah, we have this ability to on a mass scale in almost instantaneously distribute information with with uh 100 percent uh accuracy or fidelity right Versus right yeah maybe those maybe fidelity is a better word I, I guess precision for me was again this was like i was thinking in terms of just just purely like message uh transmission so yeah like, no like, I, like, I i get what you mean yeah like the telepathic um the telepathic content of i have this thought how do i transmit it from my brain into your brain well i write it down on paper and i accompany it with a piece of with an illustration and i you right. know put it to fucking music and i do a dance routine and whatever whatever all to try and help give context and uh you know to to get that original thing as right it's so funny. This reminds me of what we were talking about earlier, the experience of, uh, you know, when I was talking about like hearing a recording of a gig we just played and I'm horrified because the fidelity is so terrible in terms of versus the experience of sitting in a theater knowing that I'm like, oh, the fidelity is just as bad as the best it'll ever be. I'm so happy. You know, I know that this is going to come across exactly how I intended. Right. And it's like, um, uh, like, that's it. It's just this transmission. But now here's the other side to that, because sorry, as you want to say, you mentioned at the beginning of this call, you were talking about the little ghost game. and Why did I choose your live tracks instead of your studio tracks for this uh -huh. game? Yeah. And it just would go to show that like for you, which is the loss of fidelity to me, I picked up on a different piece of context. I picked up on exactly. the, sort of the noise provided for a certain level of authenticity. Right, no, that that it. gave me this gave me an emotional context that maybe the studio version gives me more of the I don't know intellectual or conceptual context. You know? Absolutely, and it's also like because of you know we have all of these cultural objects at our you know at our fingertips that are these perfect copies, and but even the whatever motivated the sender to take this perfect copy of something, our perception of it before we even decided to share it is also filled with infidelity, right? Not, you know, or is filled with noise. The what, whatever it was that that inspired us to say, hey, I want to send this to all my friends. And and those there, once again, there is a kind of uh, a potentially misconstrued intent uh, in the in the perception of the receiver of this perfect copy, they're going to receive it and then, you know, project all of their noise into their interpretation of it or their perception of it. So on both ends of that Shannon model, you've got this, uh, you know, 
the the selection of the of the perfect you know copy of the message is still uh in, you know is still um underpinned by um a noisy if for lack of a better term uh uh um uh, trigger not trigger but you know just uh, whatever whatever compels or whatever you know motivates you whatever that motivation is is still this personally embellished uh and um uh, uh you know that you you introduce that human element those imperfections you know for whatever your life experience is is like oh this cat meme you know i'm responding it to this way which is now why i'm i desire to share it but that desire is informed by you know uh, uh uh an imprecise perception of the of the object that you want to share and then you share it and the people who receive it are going to perceive that reception and fill it in with their noise right and so you're always there's all like even the perfect copy is still being subjected to to noise it's never going it's always going to just sit in this you know, uh, uh, dusty frame behind, you know, and behind, if you take it out of the frame, you see, oh, it's this perfectly clear image, but, you know, is that, I'm sorry if, if this analogy is kind of going off the rails, but hopefully that makes sense, right? It's like there, it, it just can't be escaped. And, and so that kind of comes back to this idea of like, despite that, do we have a responsibility to do our very best or to, to, to strive to under, to, to uh, understand or identify what that threshold is so that I can, I can ensure that something approaching a pure telepathic transmission can be achieved. Well, the other, the other thing that the images were talking about is uh, like this movement, uh, this development from um, the symbol to the image, right? And so within poetry, like the symbolists would, um, would be including things that would point to other ideas and point to other things. That's what a symbol does all the time. So um, with the Imagists, they wanted, um, like William, Carl, William Carlos Williams, uh, his, his main saying was, there's no ideas but in things. Um, so the image itself, uh, the image itself contained all of the ideas. It, it didn't express, it wasn't pointing to anything else beside it. Um, so I, th I think that's an interesting development in uh, in, in in poetry, you know, um, mm -hmm. which it it just it, it permeates through all the arts. But uh, and maybe that goes to your thing before about how we've reached a threshold with AI images, but we haven't quite reached that level with AI text. Yeah, I'm not, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how how that connects. Have you guys ever like closely scrutinized any of this AI art? Like, like zoomed in on it? Because I've noticed like, I mean, a few occasions where I've done that, then you start to see all of the, you know, the weird uh, uh, kind of artifacts of, you know, what what the AI or the limits of the AI that generated that art, like maybe like. If it happens to be a face, if you look closely, like the ear is all fucked up, but you don't notice it unless you really zoom in on it. Or like the hairline on one on the left side of the forehead is just like 
suddenly takes this sharp, acute angle that is just physically impossible. You know, just these little weird anomalous renderings. But you zoom out again, you're like, oh, that's amazing. But then you look again and you're like, oh, yeah, they fucked that part up. You know what I mean? So I don't mean on anybody and, you know. True. (laughs) (laughs) I I do that in the mirror every night. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh god! <laughs> yeah, I love it. It looked fine from across the room <laughs> in, in, in that soft light. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, I don't know what. I don't know what's next. I don't know. Well, that's the thing that yeah, the resolution will get better and better and better, right? To the point where it's like uh, imperceivable, right? Um, Right. Well, it's like uh, the back when I was much more of a techie and keeping tabs on everything that was tech related. I remember it was I think it was iPhone four came out, and this was when I was actually working at a at a uh, iPhone startup making apps, um, and so it was a big deal at that time when the iPhone iPhone four came out, and that was when they introduced the Retina display which was, you know, this very, very high resolution display on the device. Um, and in the keynote that Steve Jobs gave, you know, introducing the device, he basically says, you know, we spoke with uh, optician or, you know, ophthalmologists and, and neurologists specializing in, in vision and, and were able to identify the threshold of human vision, speaking of thresholds, and dist- and discovered that, there is a very precise number in terms of pixel density on a display that beyond which the human eye cannot perceive. And it's mm-hmm. literally like something like 352 pixels per inch or something like that. And they're like, and he's like, so once we had that number, I was like, all right, our displays are 353 pixels per inch and we don't need to bother with any more because that's, that's it. So as long, so the idea was like this display was so crisp you could not perceive any pixels because they had found that limit, right? And um, yeah, I mean, it's speaking of resolution, like that's the thing. It's like we, like I was saying earlier, we have these these limited outputs and inputs in our senses and our uh, whatever me- mechanisms and the human body we have to express ourselves, right? Like we can only we can't like I can't sing more than one note at a time. Um, oh, well, actually you can, there are techniques to do that, but really it's a, it's a gimmick or a trick, but you know, we're monophonic, you know, we can't, we're not pianos. We can't play 10 notes at the same time. We can only play one. So, uh, and we have to string sentences together in a linear structure that agrees to the, or that, that adheres to the agreed upon uh, uh, rules of our, the shared language we all are fluent in and it has to it has to you know one word has to follow the other in a specific sequence otherwise it's gobbledygook or even the spelling of a word you jumble it up it's nonsense but you put them in a particular sequence it's uh it it, it suddenly comes alive with meaning and funk and has function right <clears throat> and so you know there are all of these thresholds in terms of human perception and human sensory input and output and and if you're able to define what all of those are, then all you need to do is 
add one more pixel and that's done with you're done you know you don't need to worry about that particular you know um like we don't need to we never need to ex you know worry about pixel density ever again because we hit we figured it out and boom until you know some new mutant comes along that can perceive two more pixels per inch and I'm like all right we'll just crank it up two more well and until you start zooming in on your screen right but well, of, well yes of course but this is you know default mode <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean i think taking that into account that could really inform a lot of this stuff in terms of how how we could um for me like i take this as as useful tools for in the pursuit of this kind of maximalist art right like knowing all of these uh limits of perception limits of expression uh when you are taking a piss alan we were talking about how i was i was asking zanor you know i don't know how much of this you heard but what's the difference between art that's like a like finnegan's wake that's designed to maximize this potential for endless variety of of meaning to be extracted versus someone who never even considered that as a possibility and yet like will morgan does and he's able to find equally compelling and fascinating uh, uh, patterns and connections and correspondences and Ernest goes to jail or, you know, uh, Polly Shore movies or whatever, um, you know, and, and I was asking Zanora, I was like, should we, should we assign value to uh, those things that we extract from either category differently or should we weigh them the same or should we even distinguish them at all? Because there is this tendency, because because Joyce seemed to have this 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 profound awareness and understanding of human nature that all acts of perception, no matter how uh, trivial or or profound, will inevitably involve that perceiver uh, projecting their own life experience into all the voids that ambiguity. Uh, uh, opens up, right? Right. So, like, which is why you know a, a a a terse or a curt text message that, like you said to me, like you're like sorry if that came off as insincere or in your message, like yeah, I'll make that work. And then you followed up. You're like, oh, I didn't mean to to sound like frustrated or, or whatever it was that you said because you were concerned that maybe that came across as harsh or something. You know, this happens to us all the time, where like circumstances just prevented us from being able to sit down and compose like a thoughtful polite you know uh courteous yeah, an abrupt right? and precise answer can be seen as rude exactly right but that's that's the ambiguity that got baked into that message and that and ambiguity is going to be baked into any message and joyce understood this and he knows that once it, no matter who reads that message they're going to fill those yeah. gaps somehow right the same way we fill gaps uh or the you know Speaking of vision, you know, uh, uh, um, we we actually don't like we can't see the full color spectrum the way a camera lens can, or a, or a, a a piece of film or a, a digital vis a, a camera sensor can. It can pick up on unbelievably minute gradations and uh, change in color and light, and a human eye can't do that, right? But but the brain fills in all those gaps for us you know and because it's just gonna it's just gonna do that or like 
you guys ever seen those examples of a piece of like a sentence uh you know of i don't know bob jones went down to the store and each one of those words has been jumbled a little bit or well, uh just a, but just only enough to where you can still actually read it oh, sure yeah, yeah. you know what i mean because you fill in those gaps where the brain is always going to fill in those gaps and joyce understood this so he's um but even an artist who doesn't know about that or think about that uh doesn't matter someone who who consumes or perceives their work is going to do it because it happens all the time every day 24 7 365 for anyone that's just that's just human nature right so uh for to me it's just like all of these types of things just for me kind of are like more tools for making to better inform how i'm going to try to attempt similar uh, artistic pursuits in this kind of maximalist uh, 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 genre, if you will, right? But that we're all interested in. Yeah, just simple things like the uh, the thumbs up sign is now being interpreted by, especially younger people, as as being passive aggressive, as sort of a sarcastic smear, <laughs> you know. Um, oh, as like a reaction to a chat or something, instead of just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to, like like. A, like like uh yeah, when I get a thumbs up or something, I, I genuinely think that somebody likes it, right? But yeah. uh, um, oh, I get it all the time. Now now it's being interpreted as as being well, yeah. It's just it's 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 a way to uh, shut somebody down. It's just it's it's sarcastic, right? It's passive aggressive. But that's because that thumbs up. It's really because of the. I don't know. Would you consider this like a pseudomorphism or something? But like the so in spoken language if i'm looking at you and i give you the thumbs up, thumbs up as a physical um gesture it might have one meaning but then we copied that into the digital landscape made it a fucking hieroglyph and now we use that for yeah if you're chatting with someone someone sends you a paragraph and they respond back with a thumbs up and didn't bother typing a word or anything. It's kind of seems as like abrupt, like, yep, got it. But well, yeah, uh, it just shows that even like these things that we think are uh, fundamental, right? Are, are, they're going to shift in, in meaning as well, right? Um, yeah. All these things are going to mean something different in, <laughs> in 10 years, five years, 10 years. Yeah. 